0: Good morning, it's Saturday, February 27th, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker, the style editor of Airmail.
1: And I'm Michael Haney, a deputy editor here at Airmail. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ashley.
0: Hi, Michael. Well, we've got a good one today. We've got a good one. We have a great issue of Airmail, chock full of stories about politics, news and culture and scandal. And we also have a very satisfying edition of Morning Meeting. Our big story, Elon Musk, the man, the myth, the legend, the hiring practices. What else should we talk about today, Michael?
1: I want to talk about the latest, not palace intrigue in the UK, but the sort of uh, power behind the throne not the queen, but the, the government. Boris Johnson's got a little domestic uh, brouhaha going at number 10 Downing Street. And uh, we've got some good art, right, arts recommendations everyone always loves. And I know there's a very interesting documentary we're going to get into later in the show that involves a very controversial character, right?
0: We are going to talk about Allen versus Pharaoh. We know this is a controversial documentary. There are a lot of heated opinions on both sides, but we do feel like it's important to go there. So we do hope you'll join us and engage in the conversation. All right, Michael, I think first we'll tackle the most pressing issue of the day from our spiritual home, London. And we're going to talk about Boris Johnson and his fiancee, Carrie Simmons. So Michael, now that the news in the US is a little bit more predictable, let's once again turn our attentions to the situation in the UK, because I have to confess, I do kind of miss Melania Trump. I'm sorry, okay? I know that they were evil and all the rest, but she was very entertaining to watch, right? Just from sort of a, an observational perspective. But the gods are smiling upon us, and we do have Carrie Simmons, who is the fiancé of Boris Johnson, 32 years old. She is now an advisor to the Aspinall Organization, which is a conservation effort uh, arranged by the very wealthy Damien Aspinall. And she is top of mind this week because Stu Heritage takes a deep dive into her Machiavellian instincts in the conservative party.
1: Yeah. I, I, by the way, Carrie Simmons, I keep feeling like, wasn't that a character in Sex and the City?
0: That was Carrie Bradshaw close.
1: Okay, see, it just it's too confusing for me already, but it's just like it is very appropriate that she's named Carrie Simmons because it's like, wait, what? Is this did they is this a mashup of the reboot? I don't know, but you know, they go to London, I don't know, but yes, she has three reports this week, the sort of big gossip running around the UK right now, which by the way is in a very uh intense third lockdown, so maybe, you know, they have more better things to talk about, but it's about how Within Ten Downing Street, there's this perception uh, and this gossip that Carrie is running the government, and uh, Johnson uh, has had to kind of beat back these these rumors and 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 claim that she's simply you know advising him. And but you know there's th- th- that she's got a very strong hand, and even former advisors, as as Stu points out, the Conservatives are very good at leaking anonymous details to the press they sort of like a uh, very great sort of elevated sport of this in in the uk and this is the big one that's going around right now you know even 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 down to dominic cummings who was one of seen as like the architect of brexit and one of boris's right-hand men he he sort of found himself on the outs a few months ago it's revealed that he refers to her uh, misogynistically enough as princess Not Not. You know, so that'll tell you where the knives are these days.
0: God, the UK politicians and their nicknames.
1: Princess Nutnut. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. It's kind of funny. Um, but anyway, some of the, you know, opposition calls are, you know, basically Lady Macbeth. Um, and they suggest that she's trying to take over uh, the party. And, you know, she's always whispering in his ear. Fun facts. She's 32 years old. She's technically on maternity leave because they have a newborn named Wilf. And... She is the first fiancé to reside at 10 Downing Street. So this is the first time we've had a PM who has been unmarried, but had a partner living with him at 10 Downing. So, you know, historic for that.
1: You know, it's funny you talk about Missing Melania. I read a piece this week, I think it was on Politico, how Washington, D.C. is, like you said last weekend on, on, on the show here, like all this, the people in D.C., the politicians, they're, they're sort of a month into this thing now where they're like, they have their weekends back. It never stopped, right? And they said like, you know, they're getting used to, wow, Friday comes and then Saturday, Sunday, Biden goes up to Camp David, plays video games with his grandkids. All that he tweets out is official quote unquote business. And there's this sort of like sense of sort of, oh, we can actually, all of us in the the country sort of just go back to enjoying weekend and not dreading picking up your phone and something's going to have Blown up and shifted shifted the narrative, right?
0: How is Maggie Haberman filling her hours these days? I think about her often. Maggie, sending you love. We hope you're well.
1: (laughs) Uh, You make me
0: laugh. I try. All right, so Michael, other things that we we have to discuss in the issue.
1: You know what? Speaking Ashley of um how things have changed in in the last month and where where my attention and my emotions go. You know what happened to me last week that I hadn't happened in a long time? I cried about something good. So. I'm a sort of space nerd. Last week, you know, the Mars Perseverance rover, it was broadcast live from Jet Propulsion Laboratory when like the the, the seven minutes of doom, when the Perseverance was going through the atmosphere, and was it going to make it through? Was the heat shield going to deploy? Was the parachute going to open? Was, and I watched it live. And sure enough, when they got the radio confirmation, the visual company, that it was, and, and all those engineers in the room and, and, and mission control started clapping, I started crying. And it was because it was such a good piece of good news after all this time. And like, yes, we can do something. It was was wonderful. So now I'm like following this little guy, Perseverance. He's tweeting from Mars and sending videos. If you need a little lift of something, check out Perseverance. Check out that video.
0: That's very sweet. Did you hear about the 29-year-old physician's assistant at St. Jude's who's going to space with SpaceX?
1: Uh, Tell me.
0: Yeah, no, there's a 29-year-old physician's assistant at St. Jude's Children's Hospital who is a cancer survivor herself. She had cancer, I think, when she was 10 years old. And she has been selected to be on the first kind of civilian, uh, you know, mission to space with SpaceX. It's very cool.
1: Well, it's good that you keep bringing up SpaceX and Elon Musk.
0: God, why?
1: Because we've got a guest on the show today named Eric Berger, who wrote a great book that's just come out. It's called Lift Off: Elon Musk. And the desperate early days that launched SpaceX and second richest man in the world. Uh, Obviously, he's got his Tesla thing, but he's also a SpaceX. Eric's got some great insights onto the secrets of Elon Musk's success and some other things, which we're going to talk to him about, right?
0: Marvelous. I'm ready. Welcome to the show, Eric. Well, thank
2: you very much for having me on. I appreciate it, Ashley.
0: So how on earth did you become involved in SpaceX? Or interested in SpaceX.
2: Well, I've covered this space program for about 15 years. And so I decided I would go back and, and figure out where they'd come from because there had been a lot of other companies that had tried to do this over the last 20 or 30 years, become a private company, build things faster, better, and cheaper in terms of launching stuff into space. And they'd all failed.
1: Not to get all sinister on you, dude, but convince me that Elon Musk is not some Tony Stark dude who really wants to like, what's his What's his goal with space?
2: So his goal is pretty straightforward, and it's totally legitimate um, as far as I can tell. he He has this Tony Stark persona, um, and he is totally a demanding leader of businesses and can be a real jerk to his employees um, and people who he perceives as being in his way. But, you know, there's another side of him that I got to know in, in writing the book. And, you know, he's also a dad. Um, he's he's kind of this giant geek who is genuinely interested in Mars and trying to find backup options for humanity. Like, he believes that our destiny is to, to spread, spread among the stars, and, and going to Mars is the first step toward that. You know, when he founded SpaceX back in 2002, he would have these interviews with his earliest employees where they would come in and he would talk about his vision for the company. And it was literally to send humans to Mars. And that sounded insane back in 2002. Uh, Gwen Shotwell, who was one of his first employees and, and arguably his most important, she's now president of the company. Um, she said he was compelling, but scary, but compelling. so, um, he, he talked about this vision from the beginning, and he stuck to it. You know, 19 years later, I mean, he's building this Starship in South Texas to settle Mars, um, and so potentially Mars Perseverance. You know, in a decade or two, could record the first Starship landing on on Mars, which would be pretty cool.
0: Eric, one of the nuggets I loved from your book was an anecdote about Elon Musk's attempt to hire a brilliant. Turkish engineer who was taking grad school classes at Stanford and there was just one little problem was that he liked living in San Francisco and his wife had a good job at Google so uh, he ended up you know, interviewing at SpaceX and during the interview Musk said you know I heard you don't want to move to LA and one of the reasons is that your wife works at Google well I just talked to Larry and they're going to transfer your wife down to LA so what are you going to do now uh, tell us a bit about Elon Musk's management style
2: right so I think one of the things that that really you can credit the success of SpaceX too was was his dedication to hiring people. He was very good at both finding the best people um, and and people who would be willing to commit to his insane you know work schedules and demands. Like they would people who were not only smart but also were willing to give them their all for the cause at least for a time and when he found those people he would go after them and so
1: but he could be a jerk and, and demanding and yet musk fascinates us all because he has willed these things into existence what else in the in the wwed what would elon do what else do you think people could learn from him about how to how to be more successful
2: yeah so what struck me most about elon is that he has this just unstoppable inner drive to move things forward, um, what impresses me most about him is that in this world where a lot of us, including myself, look around at problems and say, "Well, that's a shame," you know, "that that's too bad that things are like that," he he generally looks at these things and says, "Boy, how could we fix that?" and then tries to. However fast you think you can go or want to go, he wants you to go faster, and the pressure never lets up, and it produces these phenomenal results. Like what SpaceX does in the space industry is so much faster than all of its competitors. It's not not even close, but it does burn people out. You know, he invited me to come to their factory in California um, and sit in on meetings. And these were meetings in his executive conference room. These were the senior level meetings. And there may have been one or two people in their 30s or 40s, but mostly it was just kids, like in their 20s. And they were... They were drawn to him and his vision because he has he gets things done, right? They like it's like a trade they make. I'm gonna be a part of meaningful something meaningful. And this isn't just gonna be a paper project that the government cancels in a few years.
0: One of the things I find so I hate the word inspiration, but it's inspirational about him, is that he really does dream incredibly big like he's just one of the Scott Galloway would call him a blue flame thinker but that's really what it is I mean he's he's just operating at such a different level than the rest of us and I have to admire it from a even from a strictly creative perspective his his ambition to change the world I'm not sure anybody has ambition quite like him you know and that's what makes him so special
2: I think you've nailed it Ashley I mean it is that it is that ambition that I'm in awe of and and not just ambition but like actually carrying it through you know spacex started out trying to build a simple one engine rocket that really wasn't that impressive in the grand scheme of things but over the last decade it's not hyperbole to say that they have transformed and come to dominate the global launch industry
0: i want to know what do you drive eric
2: (laughs) i I drive a hyundai santa fe it's like a decade old it's a hybrid I i don't drive a tesla
0: Not yet. (laughs) Maybe after they do the movie based on your book. I think my last question for you, Eric, is how do you pronounce his newborn's name?
2: (laughs) I don't know. You got me there.
0: Eric, thanks for being here.
2: Thank you, Mike and Ashley. Thanks.
0: Michael, do you think it's too late to buy Tesla stock? Did I miss the boat?
1: It dropped in the last few days.
0: Phew. Save. Buy the
1: dips. Buy the dips.
0: I don't know if I can afford one share of Tesla stock at this point. I mean, I've been reading about all these new electric cars that are coming on the market, but Tesla has such an advantage. I mean, they've got superchargers everywhere. As you know, I have a Tesla. I bought the cheapest one available and it's truly like the favorite. It's my favorite possession and I arguably like it more than most people.
1: I'm going to challenge you if whether it's your favorite possession because I know something else you love more.
0: What? Oh, are you you looking at my Roomba? (laughs)
1: I I am bring up your Roomba. Which by the way, I just want to tell everyone. Last week on the editorial meeting, Ashley's like, you know, I just want to point out to everyone. I, I wanted to write this up and everyone no one no one replied on the all channel and the Slack. And but you know, there's a new Roomba. And then she went on. So tell tell everyone Ashley about the new Roomba that you have.
0: Oh, it's self empties. Okay, look, Michael. We live in a pandemic. I have two small kids. There is nothing in my life I value quite like the Roomba because it does most of the housekeeping for me. Like if the counters are horrifying, you know, okay. But having a clean floor just changes your entire worldview. And the Roomba does it without me having to think about it. I it's very easy to control. It's very self sufficient. It's like, you know, the spouse that you've always dreamed of.
1: Wow. I'm not I No, no offense
0: to our we love our spouses.
1: You know, speaking of small children, you remind me we have a very funny little brief from George Collegeraucas this week about this new app slash website in in Japan that was created by this kind of exasperated computer technician. It's called Road Tribe. Do you know about it? No, okay. It basically tracks noisy kids in your neighborhood. It's I feel it's like it's like where people are in lockdown now, right?
0: I'm totally screwed. They're coming.
1: So, like, as George quotes, here's some of the reports on it. People, It's almost like Citizen, the Citizen app for loud children. Quote, several children are running around and playing in a group almost every day, making strange cries and loud voices. Or this one. Children of lower kindergarten age are shouting on the street in the evening and on Saturdays and Sundays.
0: All right. So, Michael, I'm cracking a spindra for this bad boy. We're about to get serious.
1: Wow. Okay. What, what are we go? Where are we going? What do we got?
0: We're going there, Michael. Alan versus Pharaoh.
1: This is a new HBO documentary. I've seen episode one of, and you've seen all of
0: them. Thank you to our good friends at HBO for getting me a screener, because frankly, I found this completely compelling. There's so much to learn and glean from this documentary and there's a lot to discuss. We are not going to spoil it by going through it bit by bit, fact by fact, but please do yourself a favor and just watch it. There are two issues I think we can talk about without getting into the spoilers. The first is Ronan Farrow's paternity, and the second is our perception of how Mia Farrow spoke about the early days of her relationship with Woody Allen. Ronan is is a very accomplished journalist. He's won a Pulitzer Prize for his reporting on Harvey Weinstein. Ronan is probably the most visible pharaoh at the moment um, because he's just kind of all over the news. And, but there is this question, right, about his paternity that we should get into.
1: I say this simply as an editor looking at a writer, right? And I'd say, hey, like, don't you think like for the, you, you should want to know this in, in order to understand the story, capital S on all its levels, once and for all, put the, put this question to rest?
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I went back and reread Maureen Orth's 2013 profile of Mia Farrow and I'll quote from it. She says, uh, she writes, I asked Mia point blank if Ronan was the son of Frank Sinatra. Possibly, she answered. And then in parentheses, no DNA tests have been done. And she goes on, was he, meaning Frank, the great love of your life? I asked, yes. Uh, that's a pretty profound statement. So I did find it, a little jarring that in the documentary, this was never brought up, right? And, you know, anyone who has a sense of vision can look at Ronan Farrow and see a pretty clear resemblance to Frank Sinatra. Now, whether or not this is any of our business is up for debate. I mean, Michael, if we were to put ourselves in Ronan Farrow's shoes, like I would probably have a paternity test. And if it turned out that Frank Sinatra was my father, I would admit to it. I
1: take it. I mean, Ronan has made a very brilliant career with brilliant reporting about confronting uh, uncomfortable truths out there, right? For in, uh, that, that people don't want. And yet, as, a, as an editor, I'd say to him, there's something you haven't confronted within your own story. And look, he may have privately, we don't know. I think I may have told, you know, my, my one experience with him is a few years ago when I was at GQ, we had a men of the year dinner and I was hosting a table and the person seated to my right was a very lovely up-and-coming actress, influencer, model named Emily Radakowski, who had a, the bulk of my attention, which you can understand. And then on the left was Ronan Farrow, an up-and-coming journalist. And, it, you know, the fascinating thing when I did speak with Ronan, when I did find time to speak with him rather than Emily, it was that experience of, like, looking at a hologram when it's like, like, if he turned his head one way, it was... Mia you know with the color of the hair the, that reddish strawberry blonde hair and then he then he turns his head another way and you get a glint of the eyes and the the, the cheekbones you're like that's Frank Sinatra and it's just like oh, what oh, oh wait Mia Frank Mia Frank Mia Frank I never saw much of Woody in him not that there couldn't be but it was just that was my experiential evidence that I had
0: another thing that really struck me Michael was the way that Mia Farrow spoke about the salad days of her relationship with Woody Allen given all that has happened one might expect her to look back on that with a lot of pain and suffering but in the documentary when she talks about it she seems almost giddy revealing how Woody Allen showed her his New York and how they would turn their lights on and off in their apartment buildings they've lived right across Central Park from one another so that was their way of saying I love you When she was really feeling a lot of love for him, she would hang a red towel out of her window. Uh, That all struck me as a little bit bizarre. But anyway, it's fascinating. It's definitely worthy of, of watching. All right, well, we are going to move along from that heavy conversation to talk about everyone's favorite part of morning meeting in which we recommend things to watch, see, and read. Okay, let's go there. Michael, what do you got for me?
1: Have you seen Nomadland yet? No. Okay. The new film with Frances McDormand, directed by Chloe Zhao. Watch it this weekend. It's got to be among my top films right now. It's If you don't know the story of it, it won the prize at Venice Film Festival this year. It's based on this book by the same name by a woman named Jessica Bruder. And uh, in it, Frances McDormand plays a woman named Fern who has just lost her husband. They've lost their jobs in this town out in Nevada. She ends up putting all her possessions in storage and then deciding to live in a van and become what she names Vanguard and go out on the road. And it's the story of these people out in in the West who move around from camp to camp throughout the year and live in their vans and campers. It's got to be one of the most beautiful powerful films I've seen in a long time. It sort of exists, you know, somewhere between John Ford's adaptation of Grapes of Wrath was with Henry Fonda, even through a little bit of Easy Rider 30, 40, 50 years ago. And it just, it's it's so beautifully shot. Every scene seems to be shot during magic hour. It's lovely. It's desperate. It's poetic. And uh, I think it's a, to also just watch McDormand in every scene is a pure pleasure i mean how she how she just to watch her face sometimes but um i loved it cannot recommend it enough it's it's a gorgeous film with almost this dreamlike quality at times too so check it out
0: all right well that's quite the endorsement michael i will uh i will certainly take a look at that
1: okay so what do you got for me this week
0: well god you know i spent most of my week with woody allen but i did read a really like this is just for the parents and the crew okay There's a really great new book. It's called Taking the Stress Out of Homework, uh, which is, you know, generally not the kind of thing we're covering in airmail, but it was sent to me in PDF form, and I read it this week, and I have to say it was awesome. It was really awesome. And, you know, it's written by two teachers, uh, Abby Frey abby frerick and brian platzer they're uh, education columnists for the atlantic and they also have a company called teachers who tutor in new york city and anyway they had some really smart insights into like you know getting kids in line basically but also getting yourself in line and, and michael it turns out i'm not the most efficient this is going to surprise you uh
1: i would disagree ashley is i never told you this but i I oftentimes find myself during the day thinking, what would Ashley do right now? Because I find you the most, you get so much done. You do with such grace and aplomb, raising the kids. I know it. I feel it. I, 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 and, and I just want to tell you that.
0: I, Michael, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. See, I have a lot of quantity, little quality. You have all the quality. So if your quantity, it's true. If your quantity is not high as mine, it's no big deal because you've got the quality. You know, Michael, I have to say, you know what I'm going to recommend right now everyone what
1: are you what are you gonna recommend
0: because i've been thinking about it constantly especially in light of our conversation about woody allen talk about a search for truth about your family michael's book it's called after visiting friends he tries to figure out like this fundamental truth about his family i'm not going to tell you any more than that because it's so great but you know as we were talking about ronan farrow i was dying to get your perspective on that because of of the way that you tackled some questions in your own family in such a beautiful and thoughtful way in your book. So I will recommend that this week because, you know, homework isn't the sexiest topic. I agree.
1: Um, but homework, you know, you, whether you're, whether you're 15 or eight or 35, you're, you're still doing homework. You still get those Sunday night dreads, right? God, what did I do for the week? Oh, do I have to oh, have this stuff in order, right? So
0: Totally. One of the good pro tips from this book is to make a to-do. I've always made to-do lists, but to make a to-do list and then make it again and order it in order from the thing you dread the most to the thing you dread the least. I always did it in the inverse. Like I do the easy stuff first and leave the hard things to procrastinate, but it turns out you should do the hardest stuff first.
1: Huh? That's right. Get it out of the way. Done. Yeah.
0: What else? Is there anything else we want to...
1: I got it. You know what I got, Ashley? I got a great lives I want to talk about.
0: Oh, please.
1: Okay. Uh, Are you a fan of James Brown? James The Godfather of Soul.
0: James Brown? Of
1: course. Of course. Okay. So Danny Ray, you may know him as James Brown's Cape Man. He was the guy who came on at the end of every show after James Brown passed out, quote unquote. Danny would come out. With the cape, anyway, for forty six years, he was the guy who sort of got the crowd going and and sort of helped conclude the show. And he it was in nineteen sixty two in Maryland. James Brown was looking for a guy to introduce him. Sees this guy, Danny Ray, backstage. Says, "What are you doing?" It's like, I don't know. So he's come on out and introduce me, and he's the guy who was the hype man whipping the audience up in his near frenzy. If you've, if you've ever seen the movie Soul Power, it's shot in Kinshasa Zaire in 1974. You've seen Danny at his best. He would say, he had a sort of this great patter. He'd say, which I'm not going to do justice. He said, this man will make your liver quiver. He'll make your bladder splatter. I introduced to you the hardest working man in showbiz, James Brown, right? Anyway, and then he'd go through the thing. You know, the Rolling Stones once, early on, had to follow this introduction and follow James Brown onto stage and as Keith Richards famously said, it was the most foolhardy thing they ever did. Anyway, Danny died uh, uh, recently. He was uh, 85 years old. He died recently. And at James Brown's funeral a few years ago, Danny put a cape on James Brown's coffin when he died this week. or last, When he died recently, they put a cape on his casket. So um, fantastic guy, fantastic piece of pop culture history.
0: Danny Ray. That's a great one, Michael Thank you You're welcome Well, on that sure. positive and ha- happy note Do you care to read us out?
1: I want you to get yourself and your soul together This man
2: will make your liver quiver This man will make your bladder splatter This man will freeze your knees If you will Let's all welcome the world's godfather of soul, soul brother number one, James Brown! James Brown!
1: Morning Meeting is produced by Airplay Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co editors are Graydon Carter and Alexander Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan, and our deputy editors are Nathan King and Chris Garrett. Our CMO is Emily Davis, and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. The theme music is The Cute Monster by the buddy Colette Quintet. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please do subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news, which we update every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly. We will be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure and subscribe at Apple Music or Spotify. Most of all, thanks for joining us.